Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Don't Tell Me The Score. My name is Simon Mundy and this week I am talking to Goldie Sayers. Now Goldie was Britain's best javelin thrower for a decade, an Olympic gold medalist and friend of the show. In this episode we are talking about flow. We refer back to the episode I recorded with Rupert Spira on the philosophy of sport And I know that that episode pushed the boundaries for some people, while others were really touched by its possible implications. So Goldie was one of those who it really did resonate with. So we bring the subject back to sports, as well as her experiences of flow, of choking as well, and really talk about getting out of your own way, as well as other related matters. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And just before we get to it, I just want to say thank you to a few people who've left some really kind reviews of late. Nick, Chantal, Cody, Michelle, Malcolm, Bill, just to name six, but there have been so many others as well. And as ever, everyone who's been in touch with me, thank you to you too. My website is simonmundy.com and I am easy to get hold of on social media at Simon Mundy. So please do get in touch with your thoughts, feelings, questions and suggestions anyway i look forward to hearing from you but in the meantime here is goldie sayers goldie how are you i'm good thanks simon yeah really well how are you i'm good i'm delighted to chat to you as ever it's a pleasure to have you on and i want to start by making you a little bit uncomfortable something that has been a really nice side effect added bonus of doing don't tell the score that i never expected from the outset 
is having made friends with guests, so people who've come on the podcast, as well as listeners. I would consider you a mate now, and it's a very nice thing that I've got from Don't Tell Me The Score that I wasn't expecting. So I wanted to just start by saying thank you. We're chums, and I like it. No, thank you. We've had lots of little exchanges during lockdown as I've been listening to other Don't Tell Me The School episodes and then it sparked an idea and I've texted you, I know you need to interview this person or on this subject. And you've got me through lockdown, I think, and so's the podcast. So no, thank you. More to the point. <laughs> oh, bless you. That's that's very kind. And so we've covered loads of things before, haven't we? Uh, your story, and I'll, I'll just quickly do a bit of a recap. So obviously you are um, you won bronze medal at the 2008 Olympics, which was initially fourth, but there was a drugs cheat, and you didn't get it until what 11 years later. Um, 2012, you were in the form of your life, and then you decided to chuck a javelin for one last time at a meeting. What a couple of weeks before, and managed to do your arm in, so scuppered your hopes. But you were in that top echelon of favourites, weren't you? To You were up there with like the, your Ben Ainsleys and whoever else, considered to be real contenders. Uh, well, no. I, yes and no. <laughs> so you were considered a strong medal contender, weren't you? Admit it. Yes, when they were scraping the barrel, my name <laughs> might have come up as a medal contender. <laughs> you'd, you'd beaten everyone in the weeks before, hadn't you? Yeah, you know, in, that, in that competition in which I injured myself as well. I had beaten the world record holder and was winning by a couple of metres. There we go. There we go. <laughs> but we've spoken on previous podcasts. We've spoken about how you look back on your career and, and appreciate um, the people you met, who you became, the journey of it. You've given a really, really valuable exercise in terms of working out your values. And values is obviously something I talk about a lot. And today we're talking a bit about flow because I had the episode with Rupert Spira out, which was about the uh, philosophy of sport, as it was called. And I knew that it was testing the boundaries a little bit of um, of episodes on Don't Tell Me The Score. And some people really loved it. Other people I know just it went right over their heads. And what did you make of that conversation that we had and the subject itself and all that stuff? Oh, um, well, I just, in words, because I don't think I can describe it completely properly, but overwhelming. I think if it's like a, you know, emoji on a phone, it would be one of those head exploding emojis for me anyway, probably 10 times over, but also but really inspiring, but mainly really, really thought provoking, ironically. Um, so, you know, knowing we were talking about this today, you know, I was up last night just thinking about you know, all my sort of lived experiences, it does make me quite overwhelmed, actually, but really excited as well. And, and yeah, so I hopefully will cover it in some way today. But it's definitely, definitely worth a, a listen. And I think there's so many layers to it as well, that I've listened to it several times, actually, now. And you hear different things every time you listen to it. And it's quite exciting. And, you know, I almost think like Rupert for president, really, or prime minister. <laughs> But when I saw the video of him, because obviously you listen to these people and if you don't know them beforehand, you have a picture of what they might look like in your mind. So I sort of thought, oh, you know, grey haired professor in a darkened room and then saw his video, I think, on your Instagram. I'm like, he looks like a Hollywood kind of superstar, doesn't he? And he's so present and in the moment and so full of passion about it. But he's just quite mesmerising. So, yeah, I, I'm a big fan <laughs> in some ways. Well, that is a ringing endorsement. Now he is, he's a, he's a lovely man. I mean, were there any bits that stood out for you or that really got your mind whirring? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I remember where I was when I was walking, listening to it. And I think I, um, I WhatsApp to you the view of me <laughs> having listened to this bit where he mentions, you know, this portal, you know, that you can, you know, people can access. It's effectively the essence of what it means to be human or, or a greater intelligence. And for me, that sort of took me right back to, you know, the Beijing Olympics and, you know, a performance that I throw there and almost feeling, you know, like I'd been sort of beamed up somehow and or as if this portal had opened and it's that moment. And I think it probably was pure sort of joy, peace, almost calm of, wow, this is, you know, I, I kind of almost like I get it now. It, it, you know, it sort of makes the whole world make sense when you have moments like that. And it's not as if, you know, my whole career was full of moments like that. It, it absolutely wasn't. But that's, I think, what you can remember as a sports person is those amazing moments um, when you're in the moment and you know two of my best performances I remember a lot about it I don't remember the like every step of the throw or anything but so that was a big thing I think for me one of his greatest lines I think in both sections that you did with him was this statement I think it should just be on every like poster in every school and office is disconnecting from our ego system and reconnecting with our ecosystem I just think is genius. I don't know if he came up with it or it doesn't matter because most of these ideas are kind of, you know, recycled in some way. But, you know, just, I guess for me, the experience of lockdown and everything else, just being in nature is so important. And so having moved as a result of that effectively to sort of South Devon, and I'm listening to the podcast now, walking through woods and with the sea, you know, next to me. And it just... I don't know. I mean, that is so important, as we all know, for so many different reasons. Oh, God, so many things. And like going in within to find kind of effortless, effort, I can't say it, effortlessness. Um, you know, that made me think about, you know, pre-throw routines. And actually, it's within you anyway. You just have to get out of the way of it or out of the way of yourself, sorry, to let, you know, things happen. And it's also why we need to create space and time most importantly it's almost like slowing down to speed up kind of thing oh just so many I could talk about it for a week but I think people would probably press pause on their phones <laughs> obviously I framed it or we framed it really around flow that experience of flow and I remember you talking in detail about one of your throws in Beijing 2008 when you were um you felt like your time was slowed down and can you just take us back to that, what that moment was like in 2008? Yeah, so I think, you know, thinking about flow, I think you can be in flow a lot. And maybe that's around, you know, doing, having done the training and, and but perhaps those experiences are primarily based on past experience and knowing what the movements are and not thinking. Um, but there is probably what I experienced in sport occasionally was, a kind of heightened awareness and so my experience in Beijing you know I it was awful awful conditions you know never sh no one really should have thrown that well but you know it was one with pretty much a world record I broke the British record in the first round but I knew I only had that one round because we were told that it was going to pour with rain at 7.27 and we started at 7.20 so I knew I literally had four and a half seconds to kind of um perform effectively and you know I was in great shape but the 
crap water was awful I had food poisoning <laughs> a lot went wrong, wrong so you know it was quite chaotic leading up to that point but um just in terms of being in flow just a feeling of bearing in mind I think the javelin actually as a I want to say art form but it kind of is in a way um it is almost the, the epitome of flow because you cannot try at any point and that was what was so challenging but also so lovely training for it was the fact that you have to get out of the way of it so you can't the minute you think and you will have thoughts that will come and go during that four and a half seconds or whatever length of you know elite performance throw was mine was like about 4.45 seconds but the actual throw itself might last you know 16 hundredths of a second but when I was you know performing really well that 16 hundredths of a second you know I'm convinced you can play with time and stretch it and stuff because I could just you know it was like it was sort of happening to me I guess and I listened to Johnny Wilkinson's podcast and that feeling of you know being aware that it's happening but you know it's almost happening to you in a way um but just that 16 hundredths of a second probably felt like I don't know 20 seconds or something and you just the only way at the time I could describe it because I hadn't you know hadn't you know learn about you know non-duality and everything was (laughs) in layman's terms I feel like a bit of an idiot saying it now, having listened to Rupert. But having watched the film Limitless, where Bradley Cooper kind of takes this pill and almost the whole world kind of opens up or he he can access another side of his brain. I mean, that's sort of what it feels like, which is, you know, possibly why I'll never, you know, turn to drugs because I feel like I've experienced that already. And maybe that's what people love about drugs. I don't know. But, um, you know, yeah, so that was it's a sort of heightened, very, very heightened state. And then, but I wonder whether in order to access that, if we're talking about everybody being connected and when you're in a stadium where the thing that you're sort of competing for means so much to you, but it more importantly means so much to the whole audience, then I think maybe, I don't know, this is my hypothesis, but maybe you can access that to another level. It's an incredible, incredible experience. So when you were in that 4.5 seconds or specifically the 16th of a second when you were actually throwing the javelin, in what sort of detail were you able to recall what is such a short period of time that actually it should go by in a blink? Yeah, and whether that's just your memory sort of playing tricks on you, I'm not sure, but it it sort of all starts at the start of the throw, which for me is sort of a pre-throw, was a pre-throw kind of routine where, you know, you I'd kind of skip to the back of the run-up, sort of create a bit of energy within myself. And then obviously in, in Olympics, you've got 60,000, 80,000 people, kind of really intense environment. So then you, what I would, as a routine, just bring it very, very internal. So take some deep breaths, then almost take um that energy to my I used to sort of use my sort of stomach I guess and then feel my feet just so I had some sort of I just just calming everything down effectively so just completely yeah so you're effectively I guess it's I didn't know it at the time but I was effectively kind of doing a mindfulness kind of exercise in a very very heightened state and then I'd run through what I was about to do or like a perfect in, in inverted commas throw what I wanted to happen so I'd see it in my mind um, and I'm quite, you know, from a musical family, so I 
basically say a rhythm to myself it looks like I'm talking to myself um but the rhythm of the throw which is effectively if you were to put a stopwatch on it in my mind it would be exactly the same time as the throw that I was about to do so see it feel it in my body and that's the point at which you just have to let go of everything and 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 let it happen and then you do it so see it sort of feel it in your body having visualized it then do it so whether what you've just about to do or doing is actually what you've just visualized or whether it is actually what you've done I don't know but there was just a moment because when you're performing you have to almost kid yourself that you're about to do something great because you have to quiet in your own brain and thoughts so often I think I would do this quite funny thing where you'd be you'd you'd, I'd start to hear the pattern of my feet that's so I knew sort of three steps in whether it was going to be a decent throw or not but kind of halfway down, some, sometimes I'd go, and I remember doing it actually in Beijing. I don't know if it's on the first round or not, but I'd go, oh, yeah, <laughs> to kind of convince myself that I was going to be, you know, about to be great. But I did. I did. I'm being very honest. I don't think I've ever said that before anywhere. Um, and then and you sort of have to get into, so my throw is effectively like 16 steps. It's not very long, but all you can relate it to, I think, if, you know, to most people listening, if they've played golf, it's a bit like trying to hit, a perfect golf drive off a 25 meter run up there's a lot of variables that can get in the way not least yourself and there is time to think but you you know that's absolutely a no-go but there is a there's a point in the javelin in the penultimate sort of stride we call it like the impulse which is effectively just time in the air to to kind of create this slot it's what it sort of feels like effectively and I think it was probably at that moment when I'm like, oh, yeah, that feels nice. But it was like that speed in my mind. And it wasn't me judging it. Well, I suppose it is you judging it, but it's just, it is an awareness. It's just awareness, really. And you have to base all your training, certainly in Javin, or I did, whether rightly or wrongly, on feelings, because you're taking on information from a coach or whatever and building this throw over a period of years and years and years. Um, so you know what kind of good feels like effectively really so yeah I just I guess I just remember this moment where I'm like oh this is it's almost like joyful I'm like oh this is fun and, <laughs> or you'll feel quite at peace I guess and no it's about to be is a knowing I guess that it's about to be good which is why people always say you know do you know that it's going to go a long way when it leaves your hand it's like well you sort of know 15 meters back but you definitely know in that slot position for me so and then, and then that's at that point you really have to get out of the way. Of it. So yeah, and I, and I definitely had moments. I probably in my best performances actually that was probably the most flowing. I guess I was, and then yeah, I would have been in flow to a degree um, in other performances, and, and certainly moments in training as well. Um, but there's definitely been moments that've been on a sort of slightly different stratosphere kind of thing. So I've um, I did some research for the book actually about flow and some of the research suggests there are two components of an experience of flow one is that less of a sense of self and the other one though is a distortion of time which it sounds very much like you experienced in Beijing quick question when you start out and you're visualizing are you doing that from are you seeing yourself doing it or are you visualizing from like the first person perspective like it's happening to you at that moment um yeah there's different ways of doing it I think but I would definitely be I was actually doing it from the first person so from 
yeah sort of deep within in terms of what I could see feel so so it was something that was always important to me was because javelin is such a closed skill and no one can get in the way of it or whatever is the minute you know where a competition is going to be so in olympic games you sort of want to get a picture of what the back of the run-up looks like so you can actually see the picture that you're going to see in i know tokyo or rio or beijing or wherever um and then you can make the 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 sort of clarity of that picture and that visualization even more powerful um and i think i think visualization is so so powerful or can be but yeah it was i'd always see it it's sort of I, I guess I would feel it in my body actually when I'm thinking about it now but possibly see myself doing it as well but it would definitely be me throwing I think working with younger athletes who are trying to get their head around visualization sometimes I say to them pick someone that you really enjoy watching throwing or whatever sport you do and almost imagine yourself in that person or what it would feel like whilst they're still sort of trying to to model a really good technique whatever um so yeah that was yeah it was um it was a big part of my sort of pre-throw routine um which is there for for all manner of reasons really but not least to sort of calm yourself down and take your mind or your yourself out of it a little bit so yeah I thought I struggled with visualization and part of that I think was I would when I tried to do visualization I would imagine me doing something if you know what I mean so it's like I would imagine an image of me doing something so I felt somewhat detached from it and then quite recently I put it this way it's to do with my upcoming wedding right and uh, I imagined myself on the steps but looking out as if it was happening then and there and the difference was really huge I suddenly noticed that oh I had the feelings of of like it was happening then. So I felt a little bit nervous. It was like people were watching me rather than happening to someone else. And then I was like, ah, oh, that's where I've been going wrong. It's to visualize in the first person rather than the third person. For me, I think seems to be more of an effective way of doing it. Yeah, no, I definitely, you know, definitely did a lot of first person in terms of you want to embody that experience so you can be present. It's about trying to be as embodied as you can be when you have got this racing mind and a like a deep thinker. And I know you are, as well, it's, you, your mind does race a lot. Oh, yeah, big time. So, so it's interesting. So, so you basically for when you had this experience of flow in Beijing, so you, you know, you've done all the drills, right? So you've done all the all the training, like you've painted a picture before, you know, it's not glamorous. You're in a field, chucking a spear and making the tweaks and you're doing all that and you've done all the physical prep. So you're in great condition. And then on the day, um, you know, you have, you've only got a very limited time. You know that that first throw has to be it. You're visualizing what you're going to do and then you start the run up, but then it's like you have to let go. And, and kind of let it happen. So you put all the work in, but then you have to let all the work go to let it happen. No, absolutely. And that's the, that's the, it's almost like the, the difficulty actually, I think, for, for a human being. And in my sport, it was literally letting go as well. Um, so if you, we were talking before, is you know, the, the one thing you can't do is try in javelin throwing until the literally the last split second. And that's the only time that you can really sort of let go, like actually um, kind of unleash anything. Um, 
yeah so I describe it as you know getting out of your own way like getting out you know sort of getting out of the way of yourself and it is letting go and I think that's where when people talk about being kind of vulnerable actually you know in a lot of everybody's talking about you know not everybody but say Brené Brown or whoever you know might talk about being sort of authentic and vulnerable that it, I guess that is about letting go and I've had some fantastic conversations with sort of elite performers and I remember talking to a sort of prima ballerina and I just said I'm fascinated by high performance and I said to her what you know what do you think is the key to high performance and she said the ability to be vulnerable and that is kind of I guess the sense of letting go and stuff I just I thought that was an amazing thing I'll have to get her on she sounds fascinating so vulnerability and authenticity for me go hand in hand and a nice description, I think, of authenticity is the absence of acting. So the absence of trying to control anything. So it's just turning up and you're almost exploring your own reactions in the moment. Like you're having no agenda. You're not trying to influence anything. You're all, it's like you're an observer to your own reactions and you're being true to them. And I'm glad you said about getting out of your own way, because I think this is a really interesting subject. So this idea of getting out of your own way, what does that mean to you? Oh, wow. Um, I suppose it's important to know that before that point, you will have had to have done the work and everything else. Um, It's not kind of an absence of like, kind of just completely letting go and not caring. But but there is an element of that as well, where you sort of um, have to, you do have to, I guess, to a degree, not care, because that's sort of taking the ego out of it and being open to what is or might be possible. And I think that's where perhaps we don't ever achieve what we are potentially capable of, because we put limits on ourselves. And it is the like real greats who are open to the possibility of, you know, breaking the world record or whatever else but in terms of for me letting go or sorry getting out of your own way it is that certainly from a javelin perspective it was very much just not think just do it like it is just I mean Nike do have a great phrase just do it and and maybe that's what it is it's just just do it like if I'm coaching especially in javelin you can break the skill down and do parts of it to try and put it all back together but usually or nine times out of ten with an athlete you'll perhaps pick on a specific cue and you can see they're like cogs going (laughs) in the middle of a throw and inevitably it goes horribly wrong so then you're like right right that's what we're we're focusing on so that's your intention and then just let go like just get out of the way of it and let it happen it's just letting it happen and then invariably it's like brilliant and I guess you can relate that to a lot of things um in terms of you know I think of any sort of performance whether it's public speaking it's exactly the same as sport you know you've you put you, well you need to prepare but then it's like you know getting yourself up for it then just calming down and then letting it happen and, and just it's that you know just knowing that it's going to be okay as well and not you getting super stressed about it and, and over preparing as well um or overdoing and that's the same in sport of like trying too hard but just allowing it to happen. And sometimes you will deliver better kind of presentations or speeches than others, but invariably when you're very present and, and in flow, that's when it goes well and you feed off the audience, da da da. And it's, you know, um, it's exactly the same thing, I guess. So um, yeah, that's what I see it, see it as. 
This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yeah. yeah, I've mentioned a few times in terms of this podcast, how I prepare for it. So I'm very thorough in terms of the research I do. Let's say for this one, because we've chatted so often, but but uh, very thorough in terms of the research I do. But then once you get into it, it's letting all that go. So not relying too much on the work that I've done. It's there and it's it gives me that sort of sense of confidence or faith that the work's been done so it'll be fine but then it's like not it's like holding on to it quite quite loosely but yeah you were saying about like you can see the cogs whirring and when you said that I was thinking of of Roger Federer so like when Roger Federer is in full flight drawing gasps from the crowd and everyone's like oh my lord how's he come up with that but then I can see sometimes, like I was there in the Wimbledon final in 2019 when he was playing against Novak Djokovic and he had two match points and you could see he was thinking. You could see he was in his head a bit. Therefore, the implication for me is getting out of your own way is not getting lost in thought. No, absolutely. And I think I think all of us can see in sport. I mean, I love an armchair fan, <laughs> but... You know, especially with a um, a penalty, you can see when someone's about to kind of fluff it, and it's just because they you you can almost see the chatter in their mind, and that's the hardest bit in sport. And if you ask any team sport player what's the worst bit of their sport, they'll say you know taking a penalty, or I remember talking to a hockey player about it, you know taking a um, penalty corner, and literally you are just passing the ball from A to B that you do in the game a million times. <laughs> But um, it suddenly then becomes, you know, a must do. And that's when the cogs start wearing. But it, I guess it's just the ability to know that that might happen and not judge it or then start adding to the story, like you were saying. and um, or, or, you know, having practice so many times that you, you just don't allow that to happen. But that, you know, it's really hard, even for really hard, even for, you know, Olympians or whoever. 
it happens to everybody it's not it's just that you've experienced it probably more times on a bigger stage so you know that that's okay yeah this is why I really like acceptance and commitment training therapy whatever you want to call it because the whole gist of it is that uncomfortable thoughts and feelings are very normal and it doesn't matter whether you are an Olympic gold medal winner a world cup winner you're gonna have uncomfortable or you know questioning thoughts and feelings like they're they're just going to be there the question is like how you relate to them and I remember Johnny Wilkinson saying if someone had blown the whistle just as in that moment before he was about to hit the drop goal and said right stop and just have a think about what you're about to do. He, he said, you know, he would have rolled on the floor, pulled his knees up to his chest and rolled around going, please get me out of here. So, you know, those thoughts and feelings are going to come up. But what I think is interesting and um, it is how you relate to them. And the natural thing that I think people often do is perhaps either, either try and ignore the thought or feeling or perhaps get into a dialogue with it. So it's like the thought might be, oh, I'm going to mess this up. And then you'll go, no, I'm not. And then you've got this kind of conversation going on in your head. Whereas the the acceptance and commitment approach is to go, oh, there's the thought saying, I'm going to mess this up. Hello, thought, come on in, welcome it in. Then you're not going to battle with it. And it's just, you recognize, oh, it's just a thought passing through. Some thoughts we take as more serious than other thoughts, but actually a thought is just a thought. That's why I particularly love that modality you know of like not taking your thoughts too seriously and getting lost in thought which can be you know the difference between fluffing a penalty or you know a a javelin throw or even getting a good night's sleep you know yeah and and I guess and also another level to that is just you know even if you do kind of fluff your lines or miss the penalty or have a rubbish throw you're going to live it's not life or death as well and so there's a comfort in that and and it's funny when you're an athlete and in it, in a way you sort of feel or maybe not have to feel, but you sometimes do kind of live under this illusion that it is life or death and that, you know, it's so important. And then when you retire, you just think, what on earth was that all about sometimes? Um, but I do look, what on earth was I doing? <laughs> like lobbing a spear around, but I loved it. So I knew why I was doing it. Um, yeah, I guess when you go into anything or anybody goes into any moment that's a really big deal for them at that point, you know, just knowing that they will cope whatever the result is is comforting as well. And I think that helps in the whole getting into flow and acceptance and vulnerability and everything else. Yeah, the thing about thoughts, obviously, is that they're always either about the thought about the future or the past. Like you can't think really like by the time you've thought about the present it's already become the past so like thoughts are always future or or past and and like you say they can be really serious and I know you were saying when you look back on your career you're like god why was I getting so taking it so seriously but the, the irony is that happens even on a really small level like I know when I play tennis social game of tennis with my friend as I'm going to be doing tomorrow morning if we're playing a set and it's five all juice, I know that my anxiety levels will rise. And in that moment, it's like, it's the most serious thing in the world. And no one gives a monkeys apart from me and him. And 10 minutes later, you know, it's irrelevant. But at that moment, and that's the thing about our thoughts and feelings, like they, they do just, they, 
they have they pretend that things are really serious but actually the majority of things just really aren't that serious and it's and it's seeing that they take us for a ride pretty easily yeah and it's um you know birth and death maybe they're quite serious actually everything in between if we just I guess took more things with a pinch of salt or probably saw the funny side in things it's it is so easy and I I say this but I'm as guilty as anybody of, of probably overthinking things and um taking certain things too seriously or whatever but you know they have to have meaning don't they as well but it 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 is about so yeah I know what you're saying you know separating yourself from that thought or from the experience sometimes as well in just knowing you know that it's going to be okay or what's the worst that can happen we've talked about that before you know that's probably how I live my life a lot is you know what's the worst that could happen you know it's not life or death nothing is life or death and even if you got yourself into major sort of situation um you know you can invariably get yourself out of it or find help somewhere or to a degree I guess and also you don't know like so you say you've said to me a few times that so in not winning London 2012 that actually there are some blessings to that because the way that you you know you now have a flourishing other career several other careers actually you do lots of interesting things and but therefore you're in a way you're not having to relive that so oftentimes we don't know whether something that on the face of it is bad may have benefits and stuff like that so even just judging things as good and bad we can leap to conclusions pretty quick and oftentimes they're not completely right and maybe and maybe every kind of experience is good and bad if you think of it like that because there's probably a lot of downsides to becoming you know it's probably it's getting less so I think as an Olympian in terms of winning the Olympics and being Olympic champion you know there's a downside to that as well you know being uber famous I mean I couldn't think of anything worse than being famous um I just I kind of it's fine I don't know whether to say this or not but I remember you know I, I was lucky in that I shared you know, an apartment with Jess Dennis Hill, you know, and so saw her whole, you know, 2012 experience. And I mean, incredible. But one of my, like, it was kind of a favourite moment because it's actually quite funny, but she just won the Olympics and I'd barely seen her because obviously she's then, you know, this sort of global megastar and household name and everything else and been having to do loads of interviews. Then she came back into the apartment, I think it was the following day or a couple of days later, I think. Um, and she came in and it's like, oh, well, you know, just it was a lovely, lovely moment just to spend, you know, 10 seconds with somebody who just, you know, really fulfilled every kind of dream and ambition and, and so much pressure. I mean, just that was one of the most incredible things I think I've witnessed was, you know, flying into London and her photo almost being imprinted in a field and she's everywhere. And people do think that, you know, Olympic champions are these other kind of worldly beings and they're not they're just human beings. But she walks in back into the apartment and then probably about 10 seconds later, this guy walks in behind her. And I was like, oh, who's this? And it was like Sean, I can't remember his name. But he was a bodyguard because she then had to say every time she was going to leave the village um, where she was going to go because of crowd control, because it, it just meant so much to so many people and rightly so. It was amazing you know moment and it was really like you know it's actually quite emotional to just think about it just to witness having witnessed kind of history I guess sort of firsthand but yeah he he had to be with her leaving the village because it was such a big deal if people sort of spotted her and would happen and just you know 
seeing her a few weeks later and just saying, you know, how's life? <laughs> and her just being like, I just want to be able to go to, I don't know, Wagamama's or something. <laughs> and and just, yeah, there, there are sort of downsides. I'm sure there's many, many more upsides. But yeah, I mean, I reconciled certainly not being able to perform as I'd have loved to have done in 2012 because of sustaining that injury three weeks before when I'd just broken the British record in the same competition you know, was maybe that was a good thing because I don't have to live my life, you know, still talking about that, you know, 20 years later or whatever. Not that you have to, but people, it means a lot to other people, which is lovely. And that's why I love Olympic sport is what it gives to the joy it brings to other people. So, um, yeah, but it's like, you know, you could say the same thing with coronavirus for some people. It has, it's been awful, but they've had to sort of change their lives completely and actually sometimes that's created opportunity and made them see the world a bit differently and they've had to and they change careers or whatever and they, they will look back and think of it maybe as a good thing for other people obviously it's been awful but um yeah it's um it's it's certainly interesting but you, you could easily cling on to oh you know what if if only I'd done x y and z and that was the worst moment of my life but you know is it I'm not sure I you know I don't think it probably was I think it's made me have to sort of look at other opportunities identities um you know I suppose it's you know maybe how I've drawn comfort from a fairly rubbish kind of experience but it was only rubbish at the point of it happening after that you'd sort of know what the ending was so then actually then you just have to deal with it and it didn't and couldn't and wouldn't have changed who you are even if you had won gold right like what you're saying there about Jess she wanted to just to be able to pop to Wagamama's you know she was still Jess but in but in everyone's mind she was suddenly really different and I think it was interesting talking to Tony Bellew he's really grounded and I love he told me a story about meeting Floyd Mayweather and he had one woman massaging his head another massaging his shoulders another massaging his feet while he explained to Tony Bellew how he'd won 900 million dollars and and basically Tony was like he'd like lost touch with reality and like, I'm sure you've come across people like this and in whether it be in celebrity culture in sport you know and that's the danger isn't it when you lose lose touch with just the fact that, you know, ultimately you're just a normal person. Yeah, and I, and that's what I do admire about Jess most is that she has not changed a bit, like literally not. But maybe that's because she is someone who probably finds, you know, joy in the smallest things like, you know, being with her family, the dog, walking in nature kind of thing. So I think if you can find joy in that, then you are more likely to be happy whatever happens you know in terms of whatever your your goal is and whether you achieve it or not um yeah I mean I certainly I've definitely come across a few people who've you know been put on this pedestal and and it is quite dangerous and I think it's dangerous for sports people especially because I think that's probably happened to them from quite a young age because it is a you have to be at your best at you know late 20s or something which is very unusual in other careers you're never supposed to be at your best until you're probably in your 50s or 60s and other um in other careers but so they're sort of I guess some people might be told that they're brilliant from day dot at school and I don't know through university or whatever and 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 so if you're not careful you probably can kind of believe the hype and that you are kind of special or whatever 
so that's where Rupert's podcast is so great in that you are literally just you know you've kind of trained a lot and you've created this vessel from which you can tap into something bigger than you um and that's what I think I'm so grateful for actually when I'm now having listened to that is just that I've had that experience I'm just so grateful for that explore that moment really um so um so yeah it's uh, yeah yeah it's it's it is interesting it's definitely and that's why I think you know especially in sport athletes have to or have to or they should I would recommend sort of finding other things and passions that they're interested in even if they don't you know have time or they think they don't have time to pursue other areas of interest or it's not going to detract on their performance it's actually possibly going to make their performance better in that they might understand themselves a bit better. Yeah. And that's what I liked as well about what Rupert said about the, the truly great artists and performers are the ones who are humbled by their performance rather than, you know, take it and personalize it. And and I think the people who do start believing their own hype, so they take one small part of them, perhaps an ability to punch someone or kick or whatever it may be, and turn that into a reflection of, of who they are when actually it's just this tiny, small sliver um, that happens to be appreciated. And, and I think when people do lose touch with reality like that, you then become, you can't really have authentic relationships, you know? And, and again, it comes back to what I said at the start about something I'm really grateful with Don't Tell Me The Score is becoming friends with listeners and a guest because you sort of realise that everyone's just, 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 on the, just on the level. And I think if you lose touch with, if you start thinking you're a demigod, well, you you can't have that. You can't the price the price you have to pay is an ability to have normal relationships. So you know it comes at as as big a cost as possible. I remember um, Russ Harris saying a really nice thing. Do you want to be remembered at your funeral? If you could come back as like a ghostly apparition, would you like to be remembered at, at your funeral as someone who was kind and considerate of others and? well-liked and well-respected and trustworthy, all those things, or as someone who achieved something great and thought that they were brilliant, you know, <laughs> like, like had a story in their mind of, oh, I'm wonderful. You know, it's like, no, it's obvious which the answer is, you know. And it, it's interesting. So actually now, I mean, I've had to give some presentations on Zoom or whatever over lockdown. And, and I watched my breast record, which was at Crystal Palace, and it was probably my favourite sort of performance um and I watch that now and and going back to Rupert's podcast it's it's like I'm watching that going almost like who is that it's not me like it's not me because it's not me now but I do watch it and go well I actually with that particular performance I'm like wow that's that's it's almost like I watch that and go that's flow like that's it to me in terms of because I know what that felt like at the time but obviously being able to see it outside of your body you know, is something that you obviously can't see when you're doing it. So be able to look back on that is really cool. But I'm just like, wow, that's, I, I, I and then I think you do have that relation of, you know, oh shit, I was actually really good. Cause you don't re I don't think you, or maybe some people realize during their career. And I think that's what the big, I remember talking to Dan Path about this, like my coach who you've had on the pod podcast, I asked him the question, what's the most difficult thing in coaching? And he, he said to get athletes to realise how good they are. And I think he probably might have been talking to me, <laughs> but I'm not sure whether he was or not. But, um, you know, you don't, you're not, you're just you. You're not, like, you don't think of yourself as this, you know, amazing 
you know demigod at the Olympic Games at all you're just still the kid who loves the feeling of throwing um so it's interesting sorry what you were saying at the start like actually it's quite funny you sort of look back and think wow god and I didn't at the time actually think wow I just probably saw what was wrong with it and thought well I could improve this bit and that bit and stuff whereas now it's like it's quite a nice I guess it's sort of an acceptance that yeah actually I was pretty good well certainly on that day I was Sorry, so I was going to say it's a really good exercise to do, actually, in terms of if you're another exercise point we did on before on like your values, like just looking at your funeral. It's quite morbid. But what what would you want someone to say about you at your so if you had to pick a couple of people to speak, what would you want them to say? So, yeah, it's a good way of extrapolating sort of maybe if you you don't have to show it to anybody but what you would want people to say and it you know hopefully is that you were nice you know kind and help them do x y and z or whatever it wouldn't be oh yeah that you won a bit of metal that you don't look at (laughs) sort of thing or even more have a really high opinion of yourself what i was going to ask you though is is flow and how it contrasts with choking so you said about when you were in flow how time changed and johnny for example spoke quite eloquently about there being no me so it's that loss of self like you're not self-conscious essentially right whereas obviously when we choke or when like when you said earlier when the cogs are whirring the cogs are whirring about me or how's this going to affect me are people going to be judging me I hope I don't mess this up. It's all variations on that theme. And I just think it's quite revealing that in flow, according to research, it's it's that distortion of time and a loss of a sense of self. Whereas choking, you're he- a heightened sense of self-consciousness or, or you're, you are more self-conscious. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've got probably 100 more experiences of choking than <laughs> on a sort of great stage. I mean, you have like, I had hundreds more failures than sort of successes or failures in inverted commas. Um, yeah, and it, it is it is just that the difference between those two things and being able to kind of tap into that. Often, I think it's interesting actually. So it just sparked a thought of in a sport where, if you think about, I guess things like athletics, which is incredibly black or white in terms of performance. You know, you would think about on oh, you know. I had a bad performance and it was this distance and oh, what people are going to think. <laughs> oh, it's going to get published somewhere and all my competitors will see that I performed terribly at this point. And actually no one gives a toss really, like actually. And it, it, it would have been nice to know that. So they don't, do they? I mean, no one's going to lose sleep over, um, I don't know, a 58 metre throw or something early doors. or. And, and I think the great performers are those who don't care actually. And I like Josh Butler's, podcast about you know having the effort on his back or whatever and and actually if you think in cricket is a bit like that in that everybody lives by their data and you know real kind of cricket nerds will know everybody's kind of I don't know um economy <laughs> rate or whatever and and people like sort of Kevin Peterson guys you know, don't, don't care and it is that ability to not care actually sometimes that really really helps but you can go down that rabbit warren what will people think and, and we've talked about you know social media and that's you know you can totally go down there if you let yourself in terms of what people are going to think of x posts or whatever if you know i've listened to a lot of people talking about social media and anxiety around that and it's part of the reason why i don't get particularly heavily involved in it 
so yeah it, it is you know those moments of choking it's not I suppose choking people think that's like almost like the yips of literally not being able to perform but you do have performances where perhaps your preparation leading in hasn't been ideal and you start your logical mind starts going oh there's so many reasons why I shouldn't perform um in terms of you know it's not been great preparation da 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 you just hear all this chatter when actually and that's when the great you know athletes can just switch all that off and just be open to the fact that they could you know break the world record or whatever um and I don't I mean I didn't ever get there I don't think being honest I think you know it took me there were moments of it there were sort of flashes of it and it's so much less kind of stressful certainly to live in that world than to live in the what if kind of this happened and you know being in the past or um future and caring about what people think performances because actually you know as I said they really don't care they don't care I mean you care and probably your team might for different reasons actually I think yeah I think I've mentioned this before one of my favorite videos on YouTube it's called it's by um, Alain de Botton and it's called we live it's something along the lines of we live in a world of staggering indifference that actually we think people give a monkey's ass, but but they don't you know they they're so everyone's so fixated on their own stuff that the amount of thought people give you is just minuscule and on one hand you might think oh that's a bit depressing but actually no it's it's incredibly liberating like you say you don't you don't have to be as self-conscious and and worrying and oh I've done this I've done that and I regret this and I regret that and I'm guilty over this it's like no one else is thinking about it apart from it swirling swirling around in your head and you mentioned Josh Butler as well and I'm you know he's one of those people I think I really admire who who's right let's say at the peak of his powers and yet has managed to stay humble and I think gets it gets that kind of you know, it's it, it, he. Uh, he had that really nice thing that he he likes to read the paper front to back, so that he remembers that it's it's on the back pages, not the front pages. It's really not that important. And then Mark Webber came out with a nice quote, which was like, "We're not trying to invent penicillin, mate." You know, slapping. I think it was uh, Alistair Brownlee on the back before walking off, and it's like that's a really nice, uh, yeah, just like get things a bit in perspective. Anyway, I wanna I wanna ask you something that a lot of people have asked me about the separate self and the illusion of the separate self right what do you make of that what do you think about that let's have a bit of a chat about about that and see if we can pick it apart you summarize things much better than me (laughs) um (laughs) sorry you might have to summarize it how you see it and then pass the thought to me because i'm I'm now in my head going i'm now doing the whole not being in what if I've got it wrong? And what if people see it differently to me? And I've got a responsibility here of doing the right thing or whatever. So, okay. Well, let, 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 do you remember? I remember, I remember you and I chatting and I did that whole, we're not this, we're not that process. And you said that that was quite, um, was that, that was quite a good, you, you, you found that quite a good one, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. So let's do that real briefly. Okay, go on. So it's like everything you experience in life is either a thought, a feeling, a sensation, so pinching your arm, that sensation, a perception, so what you see, what you hear, what you taste, all that stuff. And everything anyone's ever experienced is one of those things, but all of those things come and go. None of them remain in perpetuity, but that which is aware of it, the thing that we call I, that is aware of a thought, is aware of what we see, is aware of what we hear, aware of 
the feeling of my bottom on the seat, the awareness that doesn't come and go. So it's separating yourself out from the objects of experience is quite a valuable thing. But then, so the separate self, which other people might call an ego or anything like that is, is when we get ourselves muddled up, that, that awareness muddled up with thoughts and feelings. So thoughts about ourself, whether that be, let's say, I'm great or I'm terrible or I'm this or I'm that. So it's basically, as far as I understand it, getting muddled up in thought. Yeah, yeah. And then I remember when you did that exercise with me or not exercise, but talked through that the first time. Like I can, I can go back to where I was sitting. I can visualize where I was. And I went, oh no, why didn't I know that when I was an athlete? Because um, I was just like, oh, why didn't, or oh, should I have known? I just started questioning everything, thinking, well, should I have known that? And actually, if I could have just separated, obviously, my ego from the performance, it might have been better. And But then I was like, oh, actually, no, it's just nice to know that now. <laughs> um, but it's a really fine line I think especially in sport because you you have to have in any profession you have to have some sort of sense of ego otherwise I don't know I mean that's kind of yeah we all have it obviously um and well no exactly we'd all be sort of horizontal um but actually if I just saw it from a sporting context if if a sports performer is able to kind of is again getting out of their own way again and separating their ego and just connecting it's almost like plugging into I sort of almost visualize it as like plugging into the universe really and I think everybody will have felt to some degree even if it's just and I've probably had it this morning I was thinking right how do I prepare for this podcast well I just my go-tos are go for a walk in nature and just listen to something or music and it's sort of feeling that joy and and tapping into that to be present but I think everybody has experienced something no of course I mean yeah look goodness like you say like we all have everyone has an ego and a sort of a self-image and that kind of thing but it I guess for me it's the degree to which we identify with it and that's why I like that acceptance and commitment stuff because it or even mindfulness it's like the ability to drop out of thinking and be like, oh, there's a thought and there's me, you know, I don't need to be lost in it the whole time. Like invariably we always get back lost in it, but actually at any time, at any time you can drop out of it and be like, oh yeah, I'm not my thinking. Oh, phew, what a relief, you know, whether that be worried or whatever, whatever storyline we, we have at that moment, you know, we, we always have that choice like moment to moment. Um, just to, to finish things off then, let, let, let's talk a little bit about though identity. I know we have touched on it a bit, but, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, but so you, you said, you know, <laughs> tell me off if you do, um, you know, you've been to, to classes recently and sometimes you don't like to people to know that, that, you know, you've been this Olympian and done this and done that and done, you know, whatever, like that was then. And, and this is now, um, but obviously a lot of people don't find that quite as easy as you and we all sort of tend to lump ourselves in with with identities of various things whether it be uh you know an athlete or a business person or uh you know a parent or whatever it may be but but it seems to me like you're quite good at holding these things quite loosely 
Yeah, I, d- I think, um, yeah, I suppose, having just moved to Devon and I needed to find a gym and I I thought I, motivation was never an issue for me as an athlete, but when you don't have a, a goal that you're sort of striving for, then motivation becomes an issue. So I prefer classes. So I just found an amazing sort of group training facility in the last like 10 days. And you obviously have to sort of do an induction and, you know, obviously people do not know who I am. They keep saying yes they do they do not and and so they have to say you know have you lifted before and I'm like I don't want it to come up later it's that thing you don't want to embarrass somebody or you don't want to go in with the big I am yes I'm a three-time Olympian and I'm an amazing athlete because I'm not like I'm not now I was then and you know I've not lifted anything in the last 12 months I've kind of lived off Joe Wicks god bless him and some five kilo dumbbells and there was actually a sort of strength session I was actually amazed at how much like I'd lost but it's I had to say, actually, you know, I was an Olympic athlete, so I sort of know what I'm doing in the gym. Um, but it's, um, but I find it incredibly bad. But you know, what I find is, um, I don't know. Probably they either thought, oh, you arrogant so and so, or they're like, oh, felt a bit bad. I'm not sure. I don't think they cared really. They were just probably wanting me to sign up, as I would be if I owned the business. <laughs> but, but then there's guys in there I find incredible like doing because circuits effectively you you are working against yourself it's not a competition and you're just working as hard as you can but there's women in there who are like 63 doing you know like 70 centimeter box jumps which I I remember chatting to one of them and just saying god I didn't want to say like how old are you but if I can still be doing that at 60 I'd be very very chuffed um, so you know everybody's inspired in their own way I just think you know some sports people just got the opportunity um, you know or I always think in my career certainly I met some amazing people at the right time and I'm a big believer in when you know when a pupil's ready a teacher comes kind of situation so I was lucky in that I was open to seeing that I guess um, so yeah I, I, I do struggle with um we talked about it the other day you know and I, I don't know whether I should say this or not but you know team GB it's very much like once an Olympian always an Olympian so some athletes have a real issue with being called a former athlete or a former Olympian or an ex-Olympian but I sort of I I'm very very happy with that because I'm not I can't do I can't do any of the things really that I used to be able to do very well and I'm very, very happy with that because I will never be in that shape or in that form for throwing a javelin ever again. And, um, and I, you know, you are just a normal, you know, you are just a person. Um, and I was very, not very average at certain aspects of, of training. I just had to work very hard at them. So, yeah, I'm very happy with not being introduced like that. In fact, I kind of quite like it to come out later because because people have a perception of what you should be able to do and it's not even that it's just they they you don't want to be treated differently because I hate you know you know I have had experiences where people do treat you differently when they've heard or got wind that you did something you know 10 years ago that was quite good or whatever whereas I try to go through life everybody is amazing in their own way um or you know everybody has a skill that they're good at or something that they're passionate about more so I think I just happened to be lucky enough to have found that thing quite early and really enjoyed it. I, do, I just had an opportunity and I had a passion for it. And it's, I guess it's just those two things. And I had a bit of probably, I don't know whether it's genetics or not, but I was quite flexible and skillful and could take on information and 
and that led to sort of that performance. I don't know. So yeah, I yeah, I I kind of I'm very very happy with the term ex athlete because then you don't have to live up to it <laughs> as well. So that helps. <laughs> I always talk to people about having you know like a backpack I think Dan talks about about me it was psychologists he worked with it's like how much stuff do you want to put in your backpack to kind of walk through life with and it's like if you're taking on all that stuff of you know I'm an Olympian or an Olympic medalist or whatever it might be it's quite a if you buy into it it could be quite a burden in a way or heavy and you have to live up to people's expectations and actually if you just meet people as a human being and human to human and you know are they nice and we get on and like I just think everyone's interesting like I don't know like it doesn't matter what they've done or what they haven't done it's um it's all kind of rubbish really I hate to say it I shouldn't say that it's not good it's not a good advert for your podcast but it's it is all kind of it is all a bit of an illusion really <laughs> of course we want to strive to explore our you know, skills, our abilities, explore like what life has to offer, try and, you know, live, live according to your values, try and show up, let's say, as the best version of yourself. But at the same time, know that, like you say, we're all just people and like no one is any more important or less important than anyone else. And, and so actually, no, I think what you've just said is absolutely spot on. And that's why I really admire that about you and lots of other people who I've spoken to who, you know, do hold it quite lightly and don't take it too seriously. And that can, that can apply again in, in any role that someone has. Um, Goldie, as ever, an absolute pleasure to chat. We will catch up again very soon, no doubt. But I very much always enjoy talking to you and I very much appreciate you coming on again. So thank you. Thanks, Simon. Thanks. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Don't Tell Me The Score with Goldie Sayers. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and took some uh, nuggets from it. I always enjoy talking to Goldie. I'd be delighted to hear your thoughts, feelings, suggestions and questions. Do get in touch at Simon Mundy on social media and my website is simonmundy.com. But that's it for this week. I hope you'll join me again next time on Don't Tell Me The Score. Until then, thank you. And goodbye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.